0: Well good morning Trinity family. You've probably noticed my new quarantine haircut. I figured if I did something drastic that would increase our chances of ending this lockdown sooner. I'm not sure if it works that way or not but to be honest I'm actually glad that my hair is this short and I'm not with you. I'm glad because when I was in third grade my best friend who lived across the street he buzzed his hair and so I thought I should buzz my hair too. I buzz my hair just like this. Well When I went to school the next day, all the kids wanted to rub my head because it felt weird. I hated that. The kids wouldn't leave me alone, so finally I went to my teacher and I said, Mrs. Herndon, will you please tell everyone to stop rubbing my head? She said, yes, but first can I rub your head? So today I'm glad for social distancing so nobody can rub my head. Well, hey, welcome back to our series, The Waiting Game. We're exploring the book of First Thessalonians and what it has to teach us about waiting our whole world is in a time of waiting right now waiting to see how this virus situation will play out and the world is growing impatient with waiting protests popping up everybody starting to look for the end of the waiting time now as a church we know a lot about waiting already we've been playing our own waiting game for over two years now waiting to see what the Lord has next for us as a church and this waiting time It's been filled with some unexpected things, some good, some less good, but God has been in it. We talked last week about how helpful it is to recall, to to keep in mind the things that God has done in our lives. He's certainly taken good care of our church over this past season. And He'll continue to into the future as we wait patiently for Him to continue His work. So this series, The Waiting Game, it fills a, a dual role in some ways. It speaks to us as a church but also to each one of us as individuals, how we handle this global time of waiting. And as I said, we'll be working our way through the book of First Thessalonians in this series, and we had so many interesting and important things to talk about last week. We didn't have the time to really introduce the background of this book. Now, the background is very, very helpful. Now, we still have lots of interesting and important things to talk about this week, but gaining some understanding of the background is gonna help us. And one thing I think you'll find encouraging is that this book of first thessalonians it's accepted as legitimate by almost all bible scholars now for some of us who have a really high regard for the bible that might be a surprise that there's some books that just aren't trusted by some scholars but there are a lot of folks who make their living studying the bible who don't necessarily even believe the content of it so there could be a lot of skepticism about the true authorship or true date of certain books and people can find Arguments against the authenticity of a lot of books, but in the case of 1st Thessalonians It's almost universally regarded as being authentic by the Apostle Paul. That's pretty significant And it's significant in large part because of the date in which it was written and with a lot of the Bible books The date is a bit mysterious a bit hard to pin down. We can make a good estimate But it's hard to know for certain but in the case of 1st Thessalonians We have some very interesting and solid evidence about when it was written And that evidence comes partly from the Bible itself and partly from other sources. So i want to look briefly at this evidence. In the book of Acts, Paul and his companions, they go to Thessalonica for the first time in Acts 17. We're going to talk about that passage in a bit. But that chapter 17, that's their first contact. Now in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul mentions that he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica later on to check on the church. So, So sometime after Acts 17, Timothy went back to Thessalonica. And in Acts 18, verse 5, we see that Timothy's reunited with Paul again. So Timothy's been to Thessalonica, now he's back with Paul. So we can deduce that the book of 1 Thessalonians was written shortly after Timothy returned to be with Paul. So shortly after Acts 18, verse 5. Now, there's another bit of evidence in Acts 18 that's very helpful. In Acts 18, Paul and his companions are reunited. There's more controversy. They stir up trouble with the Jews throughout the region. And there's mention of a, a, a tribunal, a trial, where a person named Gallio oversees this case against Paul. And this little mention of Gallio helps us date not only the letter of 1 Thessalonians, but a lot of the life of Paul, because the same Gallio wrote a letter to the Emperor Claudius seeking some advice. And it turns out Claudius wrote him back. And that response to Gallio has been preserved. Conveniently, that response was dated. The date it was written was recorded. So scholars can use the date of that reply and the details from Acts 18 to determine the date of 1 Thessalonians. And since you all are not as nearly as as nerdy as I am, I'll cut to the chase and I'll tell you 1 Thessalonians was written in the year 50 CE or 50 AD if you prefer. It's the second of Paul's letters to be written after Galatians. Now why do I tell you all that? Other than being a fun history lesson, I tell you that for a couple of reasons. First, I tell you to encourage you that this book is is genuine. It's real. There was a real person named Paul, and he really wrote this book to a real group of believers in Thessalonica. And even more than that, it was written in the early years after Jesus died. Paul and others, they understood the truth about Jesus right from the start. That should inspire us that we have the same message, the same beliefs that they did. In fact, it was written in the springtime of the year 50. So basically, right around this time. So think about it. 1,970 years ago this spring, right now, this book was written. And it has as much influence and importance to us as it did to them. Which tells us it's not just a letter written by Paul, but it's a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit and infused with power. And that power that this whole book has... That's at the heart of what I want us to talk about today. The power that transcends time, the power that transcends place, the power that created the world and recreates each and every one of us. So as we dive into this word, this word that has power, I want to share one more bit of background. We can read about the founding of the church in Thessalonica in the book of Acts, chapter 17, like I said. Look with me at Acts 17, starting in verse 1. After they passed through Empiphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And jason has welcomed them they're all acting contrary to caesar's decree saying there's another king jesus the crowd and the city officials who heard these things were upset after taking a security bond from jason and the others they released them as soon as it was night the brothers and sisters sent paul and silas away to berea so this is the auspicious beginning to the church in thessalonica paul and silas or sylvanus used the ancient Roman highway system to easily travel from town to town. And as was their custom at the time, they would begin at a synagogue. In a synagogue, any adult Jewish male could speak and teach on any given Saturday. They didn't necessarily have the same person preaching and teaching each week like we do in our churches today. And especially for a person like Paul, who had trained as a Pharisee, trained under one of the most famous teachers of the time, he would be welcome to serve as a guest teacher. He had stellar credentials. So Paul begins to teach and share the gospel and he has immediate results, such great results as it turns out that the local powerful Jews, they get jealous, they get territorial, they decide to try to end Paul's influence. And it seems that Jason, this person who gets right in the middle of stuff, he must have been Paul's host there in the city. They thought they could sneak up on Jason's house, drag Paul and his companions out for this kangaroo court. But as it turns out, Paul and Silas aren't just sitting around the house they're out doing ministry, so they have to settle for dragging Jason out, trying to intimidate him. But ultimately, money talks, so they're willing to let everybody go for a fee. At this point, Paul and the others end up sneaking out of town at night and heading on to the next stop. And reviewing this gives us some good context for the book of 1 Thessalonians, especially the part we're gonna to study today. So let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we'd previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impunity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. So Paul starts off talking about the effectiveness of his journey to Thessalonica. He simply reminds them of his effective ministry, and he he recalls for them, like we talked about last week, all the things they have to work with. The faith, hope, love, the endurance, the hard work, the example they set for the whole region. So he writes to them, sharing all the great tools they have, all the things they have to work with. But remember from last week, the purpose of all these reminders is so that these things will continue. Paul's desire for them is to keep doing great, effective ministry. Well, That's also God's desire for us. Even in a time of waiting, we still want to be focused on great ministry, setting that example. So today, as we continue our study of this book, we're going to find out what we need to keep growing. How do we take these tools we have and keep growing them in our lives and in our church? What does it take to keep growing even while we wait? And all this background helps us answer that. First, this background helps us understand that the whole thing starts with Paul. Paul's the one who went into the synagogue, did the initial contact, made the initial converts. So in some sense, he's the beginning of the gospel there in Thessalonica. And notice in this passage, he's emboldened to speak the gospel to them. He he goes on to say he speaks to please God. So he's doing effective ministry, speaking the gospel, and people respond. So if we're going to make a chart, a graphic representation of this, it might look like this. Paul at the top there, and then we'd have to put Silas or Silvanus and Timothy in the next row. Paul helped them grow in their faith, and so they're the next tier of leaders. That's how it starts. Then there's the Thessalonian church, and we see in this passage some more info about the Thessalonians themselves. Let's keep reading down to verse 11. Paul's still speaking about himself and the other leaders, and he says this, As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged comforted and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. This is why we constantly thank God, because when you received the Word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the Word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So the Thessalonians received the message they came to embrace the gospel. So we can add another layer to our chart. And of course, some of them are going to be more mature than others, just the same as it is at any church. So we'll just put a few of them on the chart for now. Some of the early adopters, some of the more mature leaders from the Thessalonians there. But but notice, at the end of this passage that we just read, the gospel worked effectively in them, in the Thessalonians. Paul goes on to tell them that they grew, and they grew such that they became imitators of the most established churches, the ones in Judea, where Jerusalem is. Part of that imitation refers simply to the fact that they both experienced persecution, but it also speaks to their maturity. One of the most important ways they imitated the older and more established churches was in the areas of evangelism. They not only received the gospel message, but they shared it, they spread it as well. In fact you could see evidence of this even in acts 17 that passage we read about the founding of this thessalonian church it includes a statement from the critics of the church the critics say these men who have turned the world upside down they've come here too jason has welcomed them they're all acting contrary to caesar's decrees, saying there's another king jesus so they might not have liked the message that the church was spreading but they did understand it. They knew that the church was focused on Jesus. Even from this early time period, just after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the church was proclaiming Jesus as king. And even though there's more nuance to the gospel message than that, this brief accusation tells me that this church was focused on evangelism. They didn't just receive the gospel, spend all their time forming isolated groups where they could all be together and grow only themselves. No, they kept going out kept sharing the gospel message, even though it was very risky for them. They were committed to evangelism. Another place we see this commitment to evangelism is in the chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. We looked at this chapter last week, but let's remind ourselves of what Paul says at the end of that chapter. Look at verse 7. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Throughout the New Testament, when we see this phrase word of the Lord or word of God, then it refers to active transmission of the gospel. That's what's happening here. The word ringing out from them means they're actively sharing the gospel. So when Paul commends them for being an example, he's not just talking about their conduct. That's part of it, sure. We'll talk about that part in a couple of weeks, but he's really commending them for their example in sharing the gospel. They imitate in such a way that just as Paul says about himself, they're approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted not just to hold on to the gospel message, but entrusted to continue to spread it, letting it ring out from them. So this church, even though they were newly established, they're already setting an example. Now their chart looks something like this. And their example is in how they handle opposition and even persecution, but it's also an example in sharing the gospel. In fact, if we read between the lines of the book of 1 Thessalonians, it seems the church there in Thessalonica they wasn't able to, to get word out to Paul. They couldn't get a message out to him as to how they were doing, but they could get the gospel message out. He celebrates them for that. He gets tired of waiting for a word from them. He sends Timothy to go and check on them, and he finds out they've been so busy sharing the gospel, they're setting the example for the whole region. They're an example in how they set their priorities as they play this waiting game. And see, for us, for this church, we also want to have the right priorities as we wait. We want to be using all our tools really well. We want to keep growing as we wait. And as it turns out, we can learn a lot from this chart we've been creating. Let's look at it again remember we got Paul at the top now okay I can hear some of you saying Jesus should be at the top which is true but we're gonna start with Paul at the top and he's invested in the leaders or overseers Timothy and Sylvanus, and then comes the leaders of the Thessalonian church and then comes the others that they're reaching with the gospel now as we look at this chart I can also hear some others of you thinking I can hear you looking at this and saying that looks like a, a corporate org chart like a a corporation that has Bill Gates or or Jeff Bezos at the top, all the other folks trickling down from there. Or maybe worse than that, maybe you're thinking this looks like a chart advertising a pyramid scheme, multi-level marketing if you prefer. And on the surface, they do seem to look alike. There's some similarities. In fact, many people would accuse the church of both of those things, acting like a corporation or acting like a pyramid scheme. But there's one very significant difference, a big difference, how the church invests in people to achieve this kind of a chart versus how the world operates and you can see the difference right in this passage look with me at verse 13 this is why we constantly thank God because when you received the Word of God that you heard from us you welcomed it not as a human message but as it truly is the Word of God which also works effectively in you who believe the Word of God is the key the message that the church has and that the church spreads it's not a corporate message it's not a conniving scheme it's a supernatural message it's a message that's sourced in and then carried on the Word of God the gospel is a message so counterintuitive so powerful that it defies logic and that's part of the reason I wanted to encourage us with details about the date of this letter this letter that's ancient and still has power, supernatural ability to speak to us. One of the things this letter teaches us is how we wait. In the waiting game, what should our waiting look like? What should it be focused on? We said last week we can wait with confident faith. What God has done in the past should give us confidence that He'll continue to work in us in the present and in the future. And this next section of the book teaches us we can wait with power. We can wait with the Word. God's Word has power. Just as these Thessalonians stayed busy reaching out, sharing the Gospel, taking the Word seriously, we can too. Letting the Word work in us first, and then letting that power go out from us also. So let's understand what that looks like for us. It looks like a lot of things, really. It looks like us using our time well, praying, reading the Bible on our own, all those kinds of things. But the other thing it looks like for us is perhaps not so obvious. We can wait with power in the same way that the Thessalonians waited. Not just sitting around and caring for ourselves, but letting that power go out from us. And we can do it in the same way they did. Let's look again at this chart we created. This chart shows the impact they had. It shows how effectively they made use of the power of the Gospel message. We can have the same kind of impact, the same kind of example waiting with power. And the way we do that is multiplication. Now, multiplication, that's God's plan for growing His church. And His plan involves all of us playing a part. And as we talk about multiplication, it's easy to get confused. So I want to put this whole conversation in terms that we can all relate to. You may not know this, but at Trinity, when we're able to meet here in our building, we have guests pretty much every week. Those guests are still out there, by the way. We just have to go to them now instead of waiting for them to come to us. So if you are a guest watching today, thank you. Some weeks at Trinity, we got a lot of guests. Some weeks just a couple, one or two, but we do have guests almost every week. People who are new to town, folks who were invited by a friend, all that kind of thing. Now imagine if just one of those guests each month decided to stay, to become a part of our faith family. That would be wonderful. If that happened, just one new person each month becoming part of our church family, we would grow by 12 people in a year. That'd be great. Over 10 years, we'd have 120 new people in our faith family. That's great. Now, maybe we'd see a lot of new people come, a lot of new invites. We'd even double that number. That would be amazing. Seeing almost 300 new people at Trinity, we would love that. We'd have to add a a new service to accommodate all the people. We could even dream bigger than that, though. We could dream like the early church in the book of Acts. They saw 3,000 people added in one day. And then the story tells us people were being added each day after that. That would be amazing. We'd have to bring in a lot of extra chairs of Trinity if we saw that kind of growth. There's only one problem. That's not multiplication. That kind of growth is addition. Just adding folks is not bad, but it's not multiplication. That's not the biblical model of growth. Even in the early church when they saw this amazing 3,000 people in one day addition, they knew that multiplication was the plan that Jesus gave them. Jesus himself, he invested in 12 disciples so that they could go and lead others. And he told them to go and make other disciples who would be so well equipped that they could make lots of other disciples in every part of the world. The plan was always multiplication, not just addition. See, addition is not bad. But it's not the best way to grow. Just seeing folks come, settle in, hopefully eventually find their way into leadership, that's addition. It's not wrong. There's just a better, more biblical way to grow. Multiplication means that leaders are reproducing themselves. They're passing on their own biblical knowledge, their own maturity, their own values to others. And they're doing it in relationships. And the result is not just adding people somewhere near the bottom of the chart, but it's reproducing leaders who then go on to develop others. Multiplication means we add people near the top of the chart. So that under each leader is a stream of disciples being made. We multiply our impact. So for example, a growth group leader looks around their group and begins to develop two people in particular. And these two people go on not just to be great contributors in their same group, but these two people go on to start two new groups. That's multiplication. And in fact, Of our current growth group leaders every single one of them started as a participant in another group they were in a group then they were discipled now they're helping to multiply others that's the model that jesus himself instituted it's the model that launched the thessalonian church here at trinity we're seeing the same kind of multiplication on the highest level of church leadership our elders we're in the process of of vetting our elder nominations and that plurality of leadership allows us to multiply our impact dramatically Instead of just one pastor at the top of the chart, there's multiple elders. So just like the chart we created, eventually Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus they left to go plant other churches. And look who's left at the top, a group of leaders, elders. That's God planned for church growth and impact, multiplication. Addition growth is not bad, but multiplication growth is exponentially better. And multiplication growth That's how we set an example, how our church makes a real impact in this valley. So instead of having 100 or even 300 people added to our faith family, we could position ourselves for much, much more growth. We could position ourselves to go and plant other churches who can impact hundreds more. There's no limit to the potential impact the gospel can make through us. Let's not forget, there's 57,000 people in our valley with no access to the gospel. If we don't reach out with the power that we have and all this we can't lose sight of where the real power comes from or the real impact comes from just like the Thessalonians we have to be able to keep our focus where it needs to be we can only see growth through the power of God's Word his spirit at work in us so we have to be able to say about ourselves we constantly thank God because when we receive the Word of God that we heard We welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the Word of God, which also works effectively in us who believe. Another translation of this verse says this Word continues to work in you who believe. We have to let the Word continue to work in us if we want to see growth. As a church, even in our waiting time, we got to be focused not just on one leader who's to come, but we got to be focused on multiplying our leadership and our impact. That means each of us stepping up. And we do that through a relentless focus on the Word, letting God speak to us, change us, encourage us, challenge us. So for us, as we engage the Word, that's how we keep growing in this waiting time. And engaging the words, it means we're not just reading it, but we're putting it into practice. We're letting ourselves be changed by God as we interact with His Word. And we're letting God use us to grow and develop others, each of us playing a part for the sake of each of us. And what could be the impact of this kind of focus? Let's remember what the critics of the Thessalonian church said. They said, these men who turned the world upside down have come here too. The whole world turned upside down. That could be the story of our valley. Turned upside down by the power of the gospel. Not because of us, but because we let God empower us through his word. Sharing the gospel message in word and in deed. And let's remind ourselves, this is not an obligation. This is not something we begrudgingly have to turn our attention to. This is a great privilege. We don't have to share the gospel. We get to. And it will happen when we embrace multiplication, not just simple addition thinking, just trusting a couple of leaders to do it all while the rest of us sit on the sidelines. It's only going to happen if we follow the biblical pattern of multiplication, all of us engaging the word and engaging others. At the very end of this chapter, Paul shares a word of encouragement with the Thessalonian church, and I think it's a fitting word of encouragement for us too. He says, Who is our hope our joy, our crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. You. Each of you has power. The power that comes from God's Spirit empowered Word. Will we put it into practice, or will we wait passively? Let's pray. God, we do want to put it into practice. We do want to see Your Word uh, powerfully impacting our own lives, and from us powerfully going forth and, and ringing out from this church, from Trinity. And Lord, we want to see not just addition growth, we want to see multiplication growth. Not because it makes us look good, but because it makes you look good. And it makes you, uh, uh, your power increase throughout this valley. So I pray that you would uh, inspire us through your word to, to go, to make disciples, to step up into leadership right in the roles that we have and the opportunities we have right here at Trinity to engage our valley, even in this time of waiting, so that uh, we can turn the whole valley upside down through the power of your gospel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.